Welcome to the Liberty Cafe, where oppression is on the menu. Hi, this is Bill Peacock, and welcome to episode 71 of the Liberty Cafe. As always, I am very grateful to have you listening in today to the Liberty Cafe, and grateful to have Texas Scorecard be our sponsor for this episode and a lot of episodes that we've done in the past. Today, I would like to talk about whatever happened to limited government. I grew up in the days of Ronald Reagan, William F. Buckley Jr., when there was a lot of talk about limited government or free market conservatism. There's always been different parts of the conservative movement. There is, of course, the moral or religious side of that, the part about foreign relations and and anti-Soviet wing of the Republican Party, the conservatives. But always a big part of it was free market conservatism, the idea that government was too big and we needed less of it. Not just too big because it was too big, but too big because it was infringing on our liberties. It was taking away our money. And those things work together, right? Because the government can't infringe on our liberties unless it first takes our money. Because it takes money to build a big government that can spy on you or can regulate you or can cancel you, you know, whatever the government happens to be doing, it takes money for that to happen. And so while taxes are bad, it's really the part that comes after it that is worse in my mind. And so we need to get rid of them both. But unfortunately, Republicans have never been very good about getting rid of the government side of things. Ronald Reagan was a great president, I think. He's one of the top five presidents in the history of the United States, certainly the the best one in my lifetime, yet he struggled with that as well. Government grew quite a bit while Ronald Reagan was president. You know, to his credit, he was trying to take on the Soviet Union, and he, he was in a different sort of situation than we are today, although the rush is back, of course, as we all know, but still it was different. It, it seemed like the Soviet Union was an existential threat to the survival of the United States. If you're around in the 70s, which, which I was as a teenager, you, you can't really compare what's going on today with Russia to what was going on back then with the Soviet Union. And so Reagan gave up some of his limited government goals in order to get more funding for a bigger military to be able to eventually defeat the Soviet Union, which he did without firing a shot, I might add, even though he was called a warmonger by many in the days. So what got me to thinking about this, though, was a recent article I saw in the Wall Street Journal about Walt Disney Company Chief Executive Bob Chapek. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Uh, he got out there and went on a rampage against this bill that has been moving through the Florida legislature. It's the um, it's known by opponents anyway as the Don't Say Gay bill, 
which is not really what it does. Uh, one of the things it does is it says that schools in Florida shouldn't be teaching kindergartners, first graders, second graders, and third graders about gay and transgender things. Some people call it an anti-grooming bill. Because what in the world would people be telling three-year-olds about gay and being transgender gender, uh, other than setting them up for that kind of lifestyle? Not, ne not sexual abuse necessarily, but they're certainly grooming them for a lifestyle. And it, it's, it's just crazy to imagine. The, the only thing that bothers me about the Florida bill is why is it stopping at three years old? Why should any public school anywhere in the country, Florida, Texas, or anywhere else, be teaching children, our children, about, about gay, transgender, lesbian, all these kinds of issues. Sex education has no place at all in public education. Of course, public education really has no place to be in, in a world that honored God, but that's a different matter. But anyway, so he, he got into this into this fight and went out fighting about this, made a big deal because his employees were asking about it and you know, making a fuss about it when he particularly said the first time that he wasn't going to get involved in politics, and then he went in wholeheartedly. So, so why is a head of a major corporation, corporation weigh in and on this? Well, it's the same reason we have head of corporations all over the country weighing in on all kinds of issues that have really nothing to do with their business model. In fact, in the case of Disney, it's actually anti-business model in the sense that Disney's a, has always been, until recently, or a little while ago, yeah, family-friendly and, and still their theme parks thrive, I imagine, off of family visits. So in some ways you could say this issue is anti-Disney, but he's weighing right in. Well, it's because big businesses are so beholden these days to big government that they have to take the party line lest they make their handlers and their the folks who are pushing money their way in a lot of different ways. They make them mad and then they take away the gravy train because... It's a lot easier to for a big business to make money from the government because in order to make money from the government, all they have to do is say or do whatever it is the power brokers in government want them to do, whether it's uh, Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer or, or Greg Abbott here in Texas, whatever it is. right? They, they do what those people tell them to do, and then they're fine and dandy. They make money. That's a lot easier to do than actually having to go out and please customers. Now, of course, Disney does please customers, but they also make money off of government, as do a lot of these businesses. And so big business has become the best partner, it seems, of big government in pushing this agenda, which has gone beyond. It used to be just an economic thing, but now it's gone to all the social media and 
and cancel culture and all those kind of things, as we just saw recently where the Babylon Bee was canceled. Its Twitter account was canceled because it gave the uh, its Man of the Year award to, I can't remember the guy's name, but he's in the Biden administration, trans, whatever. But he's a guy, right? I don't even like to use the word trans man or trans woman because they're just men and women who are really confused. And so it's it's gone everywhere. But it's not just in these crazy things. It's it's all over the place. But the, the big problem here, and really when it comes to this, particularly when you're looking at the, the transgender thing at least, and homosexual and those kind of things, is that these are really attacks on God. And it seems like a lot of these people don't like God. They don't believe in God. And so they're attacking him by going after some of these issues. It's That may sound a little crazy, but it's really simple. So let's think about it from the transgender perspective. Who is God? Well, among other things, he's the creator of heaven and earth. What else did he create? He created man, and he created them male and female. So if we can say that people are gay and that's a natural thing, for instance, well, then we're attacking the male and female thing because that's the husband and wife part of that, right? God created man male and female, and he had them get married. That's part of God's creation. If we can say that a man can marry a man or a woman can marry a woman, then we have a situation where we don't need God. God doesn't exist because obviously he didn't create them male and female. Same thing when it comes to transgenderism, that if a man can become a woman or a woman can become a man, then that just eliminates the rationale for God as a creator because obviously... He couldn't have created man because he didn't create the male and female. That's just some myth that Christians have come up with. So we that, that's at the bottom of most attacks on, or big business attacks on the limited government state, right? And we'll talk more about how that works out in, in things that are not quite so obvious in a little bit. But I'd love to talk about just briefly about a couple of things that are going on in Texas that kind of show us how limited government is kind of lost here in Texas as well. You would you would think that, hey, this is Texas. We're on the cutting edge of limited government things. And, and we used to be when I first came to the Texas Public Policy Foundation or actually first got engaged in um, the Texas government and worked for the Texas government in 1989, then again in 90, and then finally again in 91 and then stayed in there for about 10 years all told, and then worked at Texas Public Policy Foundation. And during most of that time, Texas was at the forefront of limited government, even though we didn't necessarily think that way. We, we, we just were that way. And, you know, it was, government was a lot smaller, a lot less intrusive than it was in other states. Not that people weren't trying to make it bigger, and, in fact, succeeding in making it bigger Every year I've ever been here, every biennium anyway, the, the legislature has made government bigger. But nonetheless, there was some attention being paid to the limited government concepts, but, but not anymore. What, what's one example? Well, the Texas electricity market is one example, and I talk about that a lot. So I'll just be brief here, but 
back in 2000 to 2010 or so, you know, we, the Texas legislature and then the PUC decided to make the Texas electricity market a competitive market. And they did so with a vengeance. I mean, it was amazing what they came up with. This had been going on around the country for some time now. Even liberal California and New York and, and Maryland and a lot of other states had attempted to make their state electricity markets more competitive because they all realized there was a problem with the inefficiency of these regulated, heavily regulated markets making electricity more expensive and they wanted it cheaper for their constituents. But in Texas, uh, we, we outdid them all. And it was partly the design of the legislature and partly the design of the Texas uh, Public Utility Commission that brought this to pass. It was the most competitive electricity market in the world and it worked. Who, who would think, right? Well, we can't let electricity markets be competitive because Competition's great, say a lot of Republicans, but they don't really work over here. Maybe in insurance or this or that or the other, but certainly not in electricity. But it did, and it worked that way for a long time until some big electricity generators, in particular, wanted to make more money than they were making. It was working because some electricity companies were losing money and they didn't like that. And so they started pushing for subsidies, basically, capacity market. I won't go into the detail, but basically capacity markets and electricity markets pay a company for just hanging around. And they get paid for that in addition to the electricity that they sell. And so that was kind of going along and it was getting worse. They were doing little things to make it happen. And then, of course, we had the freeze and once we had the freeze, all bets were off. You know, the PUC abandoned all uh, concepts of a limited competitive market. And they came in and raised arbitrarily without any good reason. Matter of fact, in opposition to how markets work, they raised the price of electricity during the freeze from $2,000 per megawatt hour to $9,000 per megawatt hour. And the Texas legislature, particularly Texas House and G Governor Abbott, refused to roll back their decision. So it resulted in a company, it was a transfer, what's the name of the company? I can't remember, but the, it's the big uh, pipeline company that uh, the CEO is suing Beto right now. And I'm not sure what Beto said, and I'm not sure what the uh, pipeline CEO's beef is, but, but his company made like $2.5 billion dollars in a week, which I think if it matches what goes on with the rest of the market that week was more than that company had made in the last two years combined out of the Texas market. That certainly was the Texans spent more on electricity in that week than they had in the past two years combined. And then the legislature comes in and does not only does it do nothing to try and fix that problem, it just makes the market less competitive and more big government and more friendly to big business. So that, that's just one example of what we have going on around here. And of course we have all kinds of corporate welfare or economic development programs. Everybody likes to call them because economic development sounds a lot better than corporate welfare or corporate cronyism. You know, just one example is, well, two examples, the enterprise fund, 
Governor Abbott, and, you know, to be fair, Perry before him, too, uh, has this fund that they can just use to give to any business they want to. Yeah, they got to meet some criteria, but basically come to Texas or ex- maybe expand in Texas, too, I think, and create so many jobs and we'll give you taxpayers money. We're going to take money from taxpayers, you know, poor people, middle class people, rich people, and we're going to give it to you guys who are all a lot richer than most of us are. And um, they, they call it economic development. Same thing with uh, Chapter 312 and 313 subsidies, which are, uh, are tax abatements. They basically say, hey, move your business over here, and this is at the county and the city level, school district level. They say, move your business into our neighborhood, and we'll cut your property taxes in half for a decade, while everybody else is still paying their regular fair share of property taxes. So I, I said a little while ago that I would get back to this concept of why all of this big business, corporate cronyism, abandonment of limited government is in many ways an attack on God, even though it's maybe not quite so obvious as it is when it comes to the transgender and gay movement. Because in the Bible, God ordained three types of collective governments and then then also our individual government. So all government starts with individual government, which is founded on self-discipline. Right? The, the famous quote by Benjamin Franklin when he was coming out of the Constitutional Convention and somebody allegedly asked him, what kind of government did you give us? And he said, a republic, if you can keep it. That implies that citizens have to be self-disciplined. They have to be willing to discipline themselves, their passions, and engage in their responsibilities in the, to the public in order for us to keep a republic. Well, we can see a lot of the problems with self-discipline or lack of self-discipline these days, and one of, that's one of the reasons we're running into the problems we are today. But you get beyond that, and, and God set up family government, church government, and civil government. And each one is supposed to operate in, in, in a separate sphere. And, and one of the ways we can see how that is set up in the Bible is when we look at Matthew twenty-two twenty-one, where you know Jesus is being asked whether you know he should pay taxes, they should pay taxes or not. And he asked him to give him a coin, a denarii. And he, and he said, okay, what's on this denarii? Whose likeness is it? And they said, Caesar's. And he says to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. That's a, the, the best way of describing the fact that these governments have different spheres. Um, family government, right? You know, let's, let's say children. They owe certain things to their parents but they don't owe everything to their parents. Some things they owe to God first above even their parents. Same thing when it comes to the church, right? The church has limited authority over the people in it. Now, they have significant authority, right? They have the authority to uh, discipline those who are um, outside of orthodoxy. 
Of course, the purpose of discipline is to bring them back to orthodoxy and to belief and to salvation, right? The church is also supposed to tend to the welfare of, of the poor and orphans and the widows and things like that. That's its role. But even members of the church have their first authority, their first um, uh, affiliation is to God rather than the church, right? And so the church can't overstep its bounds either within its own sphere, or it can't start acting like the civil government, like we saw in the Middle Ages, where the church government was essentially, you know, murdering people just because they didn't believe what the church wanted them to believe. Remember, that wasn't always the case. The Jews, for instance, couldn't kill Jesus. They had to go to the Romans because it was the civil government's job to execute people, not the church's. In that case, the, the Jews. And then finally, we have the civil government. It, too, has a sphere that it's supposed to stay in. For instance, you just look at a few places in the Bible. The civil government is God's servant for our good, right? The people in civil government are God's servants for our good. They're supposed to make sure that we are doing well. That means protected. It should also be a terror to bad conduct. They should... They're agents of God's wrath on wrongdoers. So the wrongdoers, particularly in this situation, are people who commit violence against non-wrongdoers, the people who are living upright lives. Uh, the government's not supposed to be partial to the poor or defer to the great. They have problems in both of those areas these days, but they should be a righteous judge instead. And then finally, the government should not acquire excess gold or silver. And I think most of us would kind of laugh at that because I think we're long past the, the place where the government uh, has gone past the line of ex getting excess gold or silver. You know, what should that be? I don't know. But, you know, I would, you know, I would say we should start, we should cut the size of government by about 50% and then just see if that's good enough or we can go on from there. I'd suggest we probably could go on from there. Well, so when the civil government, in particular, is what we're talking about today, starts going outside its bounds and doing things that the church government should be doing, or really what we see the biggest problem is doing what the family government should be doing, a, lo a lot of people would say, and me included, that the family government is in charge of health, education, and welfare, right? Raise up their kids, they educate them, they keep them healthy and strong, and they take care of their welfare. And then when the parents are old, their kids take care of the parents. Right Now, there's not always going to be family to take care of folks, particularly in this fallen world that we live in today. But that's when charity from individuals and charity from the church come into play. And I was listening to somebody even today talking about how, well, the, yeah, welfare is not really the government's role, but it serves as the last resort. But what happens when you take that viewpoint is that the last resort becomes the first resort because the people who hate God and don't believe that he created anything or even, even exist then start usurping God's authority because they want to be like God. The same problem that Adam and Eve had. That story about Disney and then thinking about growing up with Ronald Reagan and William F. Buckley leading the way. That's all what got me to thinking about 
whatever happened to limited government? Because I just don't see even Republican leaders in Texas today talking about limited government. So we ought to start this conversation or keep it alive and keep it going and call our collective leaders back to limited government and hold them accountable for when they don't do that. All right, well, thank you very much for being with me on episode 71 of the Liberty Cafe. And thanks again to our sponsors at the Liberty Cafe, Texas Scorecard. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Cafe with Bill Peacock. This show is produced by Texas Scorecard. You can learn more about this show and find other shows at texasscorecard.com. Be sure you subscribe and rate the show on whatever platform you listen on. See you next time.